Welcome to the Birthing Ad Pod- Podcast. This is a podcast about pregnancy, birth and early parenting. Yay! G'day, how's it going? I'm Steve from the Prepare Foundation. We are a registered charity that helps first-time dads make an awesome contribution at the birth of their child. This is a podcast where we get blokes talking about their experience to share their wisdom with other men who are about to go through the life-altering change that comes with first-time fatherhood. So let's hear about the transition of parenthood from a dad's perspective. Hey guys, my name's Chris. I work for the Fathering Project. Uh, I came on board with the Fathering Project in October last year when we launched in Queensland because of a question that my mother asked me. She tapped me on the shoulder and said, Chris, what's your legacy going to be? And I said, Mum, I want to be a father to the fatherless. So within 10 days of answering that question to Mum, I resigned from my career in banking and finance at Macquarie Banking and I joined the Fathering Project because I love working with young men and I just had a daughter born about 10 months prior to that. So I really started to understand the importance of a father. And basically at the Fathering Project, we are a federally funded program that's got a national footprint now. And our main goal is to make sure every child in Australia has got an effective father or father figure in their lives. So that can include an uncle, a granddad or a best friend's dad because we do understand and research says that their outcomes are 10 times better emotionally, physically, mentally, at school and exponentially so basically we do this by equipping and inspiring you guys as dads to be the best dad you can be so we're active around the country our main focus at the moment is to start what we call dads groups in high schools in primary schools in childcare centers and the, and the list is growing so over the last eight weeks for example we are now in another 107 schools around the country so in queensland alone we're in 87 schools We've got two schools in the Northern Territory. We've got about 130 schools in the Sydney region, another 60 schools down in Victoria, uh, three ACT, one South Australia, one Tasmania, and about 200 in Western Australia. And that list is continually growing. So if you're a dad out there that wants more information, please visit our website, thefatheringproject.org. We've got heaps of dad's tips on there. Uh, if you want to start a dad's group in a school, we know some dads that are keen to get together and start talking about dads, sharing their experiences, please reach out. And we'll try and get some resources to you as quick as we can. Fantastic. How long have you been with them now? So I've been with them for just over a year. So they literally, they've been around, they started in 2013, but it wasn't until about three years ago we got that federal government grant to go Australia-wide. So the program's really only about, it's been refined a lot in the last three years. So I do feel we are still in a startup phase where we're, we're finally completing our value proposition very strong in the primary school space and now we've, we're finalising the high school space for term one next year and also by the end of term one next year we're going to have the childcare early learning space finalised too for those dads you know between the zero and five range within a childcare centre to do the same thing. Well listen uh, thanks so much for you know sitting down and having a chat. Birthing Dads was formed after I became a father. I, I actually had a bit of depression and birth trauma after that experience. And, and I just started researching the whole concept and the, the, the whole thing of men at birth and, you know, men pregnancy. And, and I found out how little information there was about it. And, uh, and so I just kept on researching and then I thought, well, I'm going to take this on and see if I can um, create something. So we recently went into the studio and shot 10 videos 
on a few of the different things that I kind of find really important that I think blokes need to know in the process, you know, things like uh, the hormones of of birth and, you know, what to expect during pregnancy, how to support your partner during pregnancy, how to support her during birth and a bit about advocacy or speaking up on her behalf in the hospital. What's it like to, you know, transition to fatherhood, the perinatal period and, and just, you know, I also give them a bit of a reality check on some of the statistics and just how bloody difficult it is because I, I think that men get quite blindsided sometimes by, not all, all blokes, of course, but the statistics show that a lot of men really struggle with this time, and uh, and particularly if there has been any any birth issues or problems or you know trauma around that, then that can really impact on their relationship and their and their future. So, so that's the kind of background to to what I'm doing. How, how long have you been with the Fathering Project? I came on board with them when they kicked off in Queensland. Uh, it would have been October last year. So before that. I was a lawyer by trade. Then I was at Macquarie Bank for a couple of years doing finance because I married a girl from North Queensland and she wants a farm. So I thought, how do I buy a farm? Okay, I go into banking. Last year in September, mum tapped me on the shoulder and she said, Chris, what's your legacy going to be? Like, what do you want to be remembered for when you're 65 years old? And I just said to mum, I want to be a father to the fatherless. I love working with young men in, in this space. So within 10 days of that conversation with mum, I resigned at Macquarie Bank and came on board with the fathering project. So it's just one of those defining moments in my life so I'm very thankful that mum asked that question and I feel like my life's been fast forwarded about 15 years so I've got a 22 month old daughter little Charlie and a 10 week old son Max and what you talk about is is spot on you know <laughs> if you don't know you learn it firsthand and and you know going from one to two kids I found that particularly hard that first four to six weeks oh man I'm so tired mm. I'm lucky that I bought a coffee machine that got me through but yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy it's, it's it's rewarding but it's not easy yeah it is it is one of the hardest things you'll you'll do i think in this life unless you've you know have a lot of trauma in other areas or there's you know tragedies occur but uh you know it's the i think it's probably the one of the hardest things that you intentionally go into <laughs> i just got the one, one he's three years old now and he was born with what's called an APGAR of one. An APGAR is the measurement. Most people wouldn't know about that if their baby's healthy, but he had an APGAR of one, which means like because it's a measure of their colour, their breathing, what their muscles are like and their reflexes and stuff like that. And so zero is the worst. Zero is they're, they're, not, they're not alive, but he was a one. So it was a medical emergency. And just seeing all that unfold and, and being right there and, and just seeing all that and protecting my partner from seeing it and, and holding all that kind of all that in, you know, it was it was pretty traumatic. And, and some of the ways that I was treated at that time by the hospital staff as well as in like, you know, you're not really, you're not a patient, you're not a visitor as, a, as an expectant dad, you're just, you're, you're kind of in this space that's uh, not really defined. And and a few of the things that the people said to me were really kind of like, oh, is that the best you can do, you know? So for me, that was, you know, the first six months of fatherhood was a bit of a nightmare for me. I just really wasn't enjoying it. And I wasn't really picking up on the duties like I should have. And, and I mean, I, I, was, I was really happy to be becoming a father. So I was really confused about it all. And why wasn't I engaged? And and that kind of thing. So, yeah, so that's why I kind of thought, well, yeah, I just wanted to move into this space to see what could be done because uh, 
I think I think as blokes we don't really get a very good treatment in the hospital systems either and and I think that men don't even know they accept that that's what that's what they're getting these days when actually they shouldn't mm. <laughs> but it is a good sign that men are kind of accepting it but what I found through my research was that the things that happen through this institutional neglect is you know the the suicide rate is the highest during the perinatal period than any other time in a man's life you know and that's tragic it's the same for mothers by the way there's mental health issues, there's relationship breakdown, there's isolation, there's domestic violence. You know, domestic violence is highest, is, is a high-risk time during pregnancy and, and perinatal time. And when I started finding out all of these indicators that were heading in that direction, I could just see that it was because blokes were not included and not being brought along and all of us, because I think a lot of guys come out of the other side of birth going, whoa, what was that? You know, and they've got no one to process those emotions with. There's yeah. really no place for blokes to kind of say, hey, wow, that was tough. Or, geez, I didn't think it was going to be like that. You know, there's no real... Unless, mothers talk, as they have really that group to talk with. Yeah, yeah. So unless you've, you know, you're already a guy who's connected to his heart and he's, he's talking about his emotions with his mates and, and all that, unless you're in that kind of small percentage of men, then you, you're probably not going to have that ability to be able to get through those things without having some kind of substance abuse or these other kind of social impacts. And so, so I think just trying to give this a go to try and help guys understand the issues that they're, they're about to face and, and stuff like brilliant. that. Yeah, it's a needed space and, and we see it all the time with the work that we do. I, I met with some Queensland health practitioners on the Gold Coast on, on Monday morning to chat about this this space. So it's quite time that we're connecting now as well. And they, they said, look, the guys are crying out for information. A lot of guys, you know, the birth is one thing, but then what now? Like it's, there's nothing out there for guys. So the fact that you're filming modules and putting things together, I think it's brilliant. And yeah, basically, how can we help to to evaluate to what you're doing or how can we help to, to creep, keep creating your vision? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that, that conversation, I'm sure, will be ongoing. Um, I guess, like, just your experience as a father and you're telling me about how that works for you and stuff like that is is really, really good. And please be as as raw and honest as you feel is necessary, whatever, whatever comes up for you is fine. The, uh, the audience here is mostly the first time expectant dad, because they're the ones that are kind of in that position of that, the unknown. Yep. So, so one of the, one of the problems with our current birth culture is that uh, fear creates adrenaline and adrenaline slows down labor or stops labor. And that's, that's like a primal, response from you know from the reptilian days where where we actually have if there was a predator coming and she was in labor adrenaline hits her and it slows down labor so that she can either escape or it stops it completely so she can she can really wow. away, right so that's a kind of inbuilt natural kind of mechanism that but in our modern birth culture what we have is guys going in there and going oh, I can't, I can't stand this. I can't, you know, I didn't realise it was going to be like that. They get their shackles up because we're used to this protector role, right? We're used to be yeah. taking her pain away or looking after her in some way. 
and then it brings adrenaline into the space and then labour slows down and then they have to start using drugs and other interventions to kind of keep things going. So that's that's one of the things that I come through strongly is, is about trying to manage your own fear or suppress it or hide it <laughs> so that she doesn't get adrenalised too because it's one of those things that can be can be transmitted. So in this conversation now, I had no idea that was what the natural body did. Yeah. I'd, yeah, so. <laughs> well, here's here's another piece of information, right? Well, hormones are very important during childbirth, and one of the main hormones of childbirth is also one of the main hormones of conception, and that's called oxytocin, right? Mm. So oxytocin is the hormone of love. So when you're feeling kind of like, oh, dig this chick, or you know, you're you're really into her or something, you you've got oxytocin flowing, and when a, a woman goes into labour oxytocin rises and that's actually the, the hormone that contracts the uterus so the idea is to bring love into the room not fear and that's the main message i try to get to get through to blokes and are you planning to attend the birth of your child well the safest scenario is you're calm relaxed and know how to provide physical emotional and practical support the worst case scenario is you have no idea and end up looking like a deer in the headlights. Pitilbra, don't be a deer in the headlights, mate. Birthing Dads has a suite of groundbreaking resources designed to give you a confidence boost ahead of the big day. And the best part, it's all on demand and 100% online. Go to birthingdads.com.au and use the coupon code POD, that's P-O-D, for a 10% discount and learn how to support birth like a superstar. So what, what, what advice would you give an expectant father? What advice I'll give, number one, the best thing that I did was not check out the gender. I think there's, a, there's enough surprises in life. The fact that my wife and I waited until the day that our daughter was born, our first child, it was amazing. Just not knowing, it just added a bit of, bit of spice to the whole journey and uh, it, was, it was the best thing ever. So that's my main tip. Tip number two, uh, a lot of guys, uh, a lot of my friends are having kids at the same time. So a lot of them bought car seats, they bought cots, they bought nappies, all of that. I went out and bought a coffee machine and it serviced me very, very well. <laughs> so find a discount retailer or go on Facebook Marketplace, but get that coffee machine because it's those late nights and early mornings. If you can manage those, you're 99% of the way through. That's awesome. That's hilarious as well. How was the birth for you? The, the first birth and maybe the second. Yeah, great. So I did the, the prenatal class and, and tried to learn what I could. I found it really, really interesting. But the birth itself, it's like you're going to war. <laughs> you know, my wife's a warrior and seeing my life, my wife in a different picture, like I, I just came out, I was totally amazed that she went through that process of pushing this child that's quite big, you know, out of her body and doing it within like this time frame. So I was very impressed with her, her courage and how she did that. So the first birth we had, I found my role was basically, I was at hospital in the shower, just with a shower hose on her back for hours and hours and hours. And she ended up having the baby on the bed. The second birth, we had a water birth. And I cannot recommend that highly enough to people. So we actually were in this big 700 litre spa. They kept the temperature at a constant 37 degrees for many, many hours. I was sitting in the bath with her for a couple of hours. So for me, it felt like I was at a five-star resort in the spa, just massaging Kate's shoulders as, as uh, she went through the birthing process. But we've been pretty blessed with our birth stories. Both of our children came out relatively harm-free. 
there was no complications, a healthy girl, then a healthy boy. So we've been quite lucky with ours. Was it luck or was there a fair bit of preparation involved? Did she did she do some research and you know and, and kind of work out what she wanted and and stuff like that or Yeah, it's actually a great question. So Kate's she's big into uh, I guess natural therapies and remedies. So she's got a, a, a great naturopath as a family friend. And I guess if you, you could put it this way that he coached her through that birthing process and what to expect. You know, what's a good birthing plan? Uh, you know, what, what it may look like, have a few contingencies in place there. So when you when you put it that way, yeah, Kate did prepare really, really well for the birth. Uh, in terms of the uncontrollable, so physical outcomes, the babies were both healthy and, and Kate had a, a quite a, a textbook birth and her, her recovery process was also quite textbook. So within, you know, a couple of minutes, she was up and walking around and had a shower and then the weeks following she breastfed well and, and, and onwards and upwards. But I guess in that, those first kind of two to three nights after your child's born, man, we were delirious. I, I remember just laughing with Kate, just like as all hours of the morning, you can't even string a sentence together because you're so tired, but you're enjoying this new baby. And then, you know, you're trying to figure out how to breastfeed. One, one story, so Kate was really determined to breastfeed and <laughs> It was like 3 a.m. in the morning. I had these little syringes trying to milk out the colostrum. Yeah, and just looking back at those times, you know, breastfeeding now, it's easy, but the first time you do it, trying to figure it out, oh, man, <laughs> teaching the baby to latch. And then if the milk doesn't come early enough, the baby's hungry, starts crying. It's a great journey, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely, it can be a roller coaster. Absolutely love it. So how about p- pregnancy? How was the pregnancy? What are the things that you did to support or, you know, what would you advise other other guys? And, and you know, because it's sometimes it's a bit of an emotional time. And, and I, one of the things that I try to kind of say to guys is that it's actually super important to the future of your family to just be as supportive as possible. And so what did, what did you do around that time? Yeah, so I guess the, the nine months leading up to the birth, we're pretty excited. So Kate was, my wife was a competitive 800 meter runner up until the time she got pregnant. So the fact that she kind of stopped training, it worked out really well. So she, she found that she was more tired pre-pregnancy because she was training twice a day competing. So when she was actually pregnant, she kind of felt a lot better than what she was previously with all the training. So I kind of had a little win there, but I guess for the pregnancy, we looked into it to we looked into the pregnancy to a certain level, but then we kind of stopped. I kind of found that friends would look into it so much and go down the rabbit hole of like, what if this or what if that, and they kind of got a bit stressed out with the whole ordeal. We more so just took the approach of, you know what, this is natural. We trust Kate's body. Obviously, if there's any signs there that things aren't going well, you know, Kate will feel it or she'll know. We obviously had regular doctors' checks, but we didn't really go into it too much. We just let her body do her thing and. She worked up until 38 weeks, so she she still had a uh, as much of a normalised routine as she could. We were lucky again that she didn't have any morning sickness. So for us, life was pretty normal until 38 weeks. Other than Kate was getting bigger and bigger every week, we we pretty much just did life as life as normal. Uh, I'll probably do a bit more shopping and get the groceries more often and make sure I fill up her car, etc. But yeah, we had a really good run, and that was the same for both pregnancies. The second one around. Kate wasn't working, but she's a stay-at-home mum, so she's quite preoccupied with the little Charlie. And so that second nine-month block went through quite quickly as well. The only time that we really got stressed out in the pregnancy was the times when we had too much information. So the times we actually went and had the scans. So 
for example, with the first one, Charlie, we went and had our 12-week scan, which I recommend. Doctors are fantastic. But uh, from a doctor's perspective, they have to outline all the risks involved. And if you're not really aware of, you know, what the risks actually mean, you can walk away thinking, oh, no, you know, my baby's got a one in a thousand chance of, you know, this, this or this happening. So with that first one, the doctor's like, oh, we can't see Charlie's got a nasal bone. She falls in this particular risk category of, of being birth, being born with a certain, I don't want to say defect because I think every kid's beautiful, but, you know, a certain aspect might be missing. And we we walked away from that feeling quite anxious and, you know, it's a bit of like, a, oh, okay, you know, you think your kid's going to be perfect. Charlie ended up being fine. Second one, little Max, a similar thing happened at the 12-week scan. Like, oh, his neck's measuring two to three centimetres wider than what it should be. That means that this, this, and this risk has increased dramatically. We're like, oh, okay, this again. Max was born perfectly normal. He had a thick neck. He might be a front row, but nothing. <laughs> in terms of his health, he was fine. But in both instances, because all the risks were outlined for us and we weren't really sure how to, I guess, digest those risks properly and what that actually meant, it did cause our anxiety to rise for a week or two. You know what? In other, in other cases, it could lead to people going making the decision to to abort i don't know but um if they didn't know how to how to process those risks properly so that's probably the main hurdle we had in both of those pregnancies but both ended up being being fine yeah that's that's fantastic advice for the expectant dad to not not hear one in a thousand to hear 9999 yeah even one in a hundred like if you go to a casino you never put money down in that Say the chances of you actually having a, you know, an, an abnormal birth, it's ridiculously low. Yeah, it's just one. Of, it, it's actually in our birth culture and the work that I'm doing and talking to midwives and, you know, eminent people in this space. The language around those kind of things could be just modified. It could be switched the other way, and they could say 999 babies are completely fine with this, but occasionally there's this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So the language would kind of chill parents because I think that's one of the things we're scaring scaring people too much, and uh, yeah. and that's what you know causes a lot of problems, doesn't it? So did the labours the labours start spontaneously? Like, but just talk me through the you know the the, the next part. Yeah, definitely. Well, number one, Hollywood is a lie. <laughs> The labels in the movies are a lie on oh, the water's broken. Let's go to the hospital. Rah, rah, rah. <laughs> Had I not done a prenatal class, I would have thought, you know what? As soon as there's one pain, we've got to go. Bags packed up in the car. But that's, as you know, that's not the case. You know, if you go to these classes and you learn a bit about it, you've actually got quite a bit of time before you need to rush to the hospital to have the baby delivered. So the first one, we were actually seven days over. So Kate had a, a hormone. I don't know what it's called, but a little a, a little hormone swab, basically. It's in the induction. Yeah, inductions. And that, that caused her water to break. So that came out within about two hours. So she it kind of naturally induced after that itself. And that took about 13 hours, that first labour. And the second labour in the morning, she said she had a few pains. I was, at, I was on a work meeting. I'm like, boys, this might be the day. And then by about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, she's like, yeah, you know what, these pains have been pretty consistent. We had a friend come over that just um, helped look after Charlie. I, I wrapped up my meetings. And then my parents drove up from, they're about two hours away. So they came at about 4.30. And just because Kate had been aware of what it's like to have contractions, she was timing them and ended up, you know, 
we waited, we stayed at home for a good eight hours before we actually went into the hospital at about five o'clock that night. And the baby was born, uh, Max was born, uh, would have been just past midnight that night. So yeah, it was about another nine hour process that one. But we didn't, we didn't freak out. We didn't um, <laughs> rush in at the drop of a hat. We just, we played it cool and followed the advice that we'd been given and it, and it really worked. And so how did you, how did you manage that time? I mean, you, you just, you, you mentioned we kept it cool. One of the things I try to advise guys is to ignore labor until you can't and, and not get too excited because it is an endurance event most of the time. So what did you do in that eight hours? Like what was happening? Yeah, so I, honestly, I was working from home that day, so I just kept working as, as usual and just kept kind of stepping out of the office and saying, hey, Kate, how are you? How are you feeling? And she just kept doing as much of a daily routine as usual, looking after Charlie, and she just kept monitoring it. Once it kind of started ramping up, and as you said, you can't ignore it, that's when she called a friend and said, hey, I think it's it's happening. Can you come over and just keep an eye on Charlie while I, I do my breathing through the um, contractions? But yeah, we just kept we just kept life as usual, you know, obviously look out for each other a bit more through the, the early stages of labor, but pop a movie on or make a nice lunch for your wife and just, just be, get excited for the journey ahead because you've got another little blessing coming into your life in a couple of hours. So <laughs> a couple of long hours, I must say. Though. And so what, what did you do during labor when it was active and you were in the hospital? What, what were you doing? Well, for the first one, I guess I was in a birthing suite just, Kate loves water, so I was in the shower, standing over her with a with a shower head for just for hours, having the hot water on her lower back. And then when when it came to to go time, I was just up her up her end of the body and just holding her hand and just giving her a cuddle and just uh, being there for her, not not saying "Come on, go, go, go." Some women like that. Kate doesn't. She's more of a quiet type. So I just let her do her thing and just physically was there and was present at the time. Put the phone away. Be there for the birth you know, enjoy it yourself. Second one was a bit different because we had the water birth. So most of the time I was actually in the water with Kate, which was pretty special. So when I was in the water, I was just basically, again, hugging her, being there for her, physically being present. When I was out of the water, I was going to the hospital kitchen and getting food and water for her and just making sure she's hydrated and, and have the energy levels up. Both times we were in the hospital at nighttime, so the lights were dim, the aircon was on. So it was, it was a really great experience for both of us. And did did either of you have any fear at all about the about birth? Yeah, I've always said to my friends many years ago, you know, if I was a woman, giving birth would be my greatest fear. <laughs> and even watching watching Kate go through it twice, I say to myself, man, I wonder if I could actually do that if it can't, if, if I ever had to do it, you know, could I actually go through with that pain and go through with could I could I push through that threshold? And I still don't know if I could. So for me, the biggest fear was watching Kate go through the pain. Like I knew that she could do it, but just having watching somebody that you love so much tolerate going through that pain, uh, it's hard to watch. And I was, I was confident that the doctors could address any situation if it happened. So I wasn't worried about Kate, you know, dying or anything like that. It's more so just watching her bear that pain. It was tough. That was the hardest thing. Yeah, because your empathy and your compassion kicks in, doesn't it? And it's just really mental anguish i think mental kind of uh, you can't do anything about it like you're the fixer but you can't fix it you just have to say sorry love you've got to go through this and you you can't you can't take the pain away she has to go through it uh okay so you're now the dad of a couple of beautiful kids and so what's that like 
it's fun. I always say to people, my sleep is halved, but my heart's full. It's very satisfying. It's uh, it's not easy though. Like when people tell me, um, you know, little Johnny's been sleeping through since six weeks. I'm like, I say in my head, now nah, you're lying. <laughs> I bet little Johnny hasn't been sleeping through. <laughs> and also when when parents or grandparents say, oh, you know what, I remember those times, you'll get through. I'm thinking, you probably remember those times, the good times. You probably don't remember all the hard nights where they're teething or they're hungry or they might get a little bit sick. But in all the hard times, it's, it's so worth it. It's, it's the best thing that can ever happen to you. And, you know, taking on that responsibility of a little child and, and seeing them smile and actually seeing the world through their eyes again takes you back to your own childhood. And yeah, it's, it's a great experience, but I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is hard. You know, you have your good weeks, you have your bad weeks, but definitely your good weeks heavily outweigh your bad weeks. And it's a challenge that, as I said, totally worth it. So come on, guys. If you're not a dad yet, think about it. It's good. <laughs> I, I like what you said about the, the grandparents, the grand, you know, the oh, yeah. But let's let's face it, Chris, they, it was easier then. You reckon? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I do. Well, here, here's why I believe so. Yeah. Back when uh, maybe the 60s, 70s, 80s, you, you only needed one income to yeah. pay for mortgage. Now you need two. So you've got parents working. So there's the first thing. Another thing, we've we've actually got access to the all this kind of information, which bombards us with the right and wrongs of parenting. And therefore, we have guilt around what we're meant to be doing and why. When, and, and so, because guilt is a is a major thing for new mums so and 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 for new dads am i being a good dad and uh, am i you know doing the best i can and stuff like that so and i think that's because we see unrealistic you know things on social media and it's just really kind of a bit of a minefield for those who have less emotional resources to deal with kind of a hardship i guess is what i'm saying where are you based in brisbane at the moment Oh, yeah, I see, I see the little surfboard in the background there. You get out for a wave. I've got a few surfboards, got the golf clubs. Yep. But, um, I'm actually signed up for a uh, half Ironman in Cairns next year. So, Okay. <laughs> I've just bought a road bike uh, last week, so I've got to have a bash on that this weekend. But, uh, yeah, I do, I do enjoy staying active, but you definitely got to structure that around your family now, which is, can be tough as well. What's been the hardest part of fatherhood what's been or any instances that were kind of you know that really anecdotes about a time where it was just like oh man I just the hardest thing for me would be uh, lack of sleep like I, I just going from sleeping a normal seven eight hours to just sporadically not getting much or getting a bit more I, I found that tough I was blessed that a lot of my friends were having kids at the same time so you know, I wasn't the odd one out where they'd all be doing their activities and saying, hey, Chris, come to this. Oh, I can't, guys. I've got to look after little Charlie. So everyone's doing it at the same time. So we all kind of understand that uh, time's different, you know, and, and you can sort of organise catch-ups around sleeping times and feeding times. So had that not been the case, it would have been difficult. But, um, yeah, number one for me is definitely the sleep. And I guess number two, keeping the dad bot away. As I said, I like trying to be fit and healthy. I like surfing. I like playing golf or like I now like cycling and that. So I've got to make sure that I structure my life around number one, Kate and the family, but number two, making sure that I'm still healthy as well. And I think, you know, physical and mental health are linked quite closely. So if you can get some time for yourself doing some activities, um, it's definitely worthwhile and, and it, it adds to the whole family as a whole. 
Absolutely. That's a strong messaging that comes through with mum. How did you build attachment? Uh, With Charlie, I felt pretty easy with Charlie being the first child. I didn't know what to expect. So I was always picking her up, always cuddling her, just loved being with her. So we we connected quite early and we're very strong now as well, which is really cool. I come from an all-boys family, so all-boys rugby, all-boys college, all-boys uni. So I always thought to myself, if if I have a son, I'll be able to nail it. So I know I've I've been around guys my whole life. First kid was a girl. (laughs) I was like, what do I do? do?" So it's been a learning journey for me, but I've I've been really enjoying it. With little Maxie, I've only really started connecting with him now at week kind of eight, nine, ten. For the first couple of weeks, my main role was looking after Charlie as Kate kind of nurtured and looked after Max. So Charlie and I have gotten even closer. And you know what it's like for the first 10 weeks of a kid's life. You know, they're just dependent on the mum so much. So it wasn't, you know, so he used to just cry when I used to hold him. He used to not settle with me. So I actually found it really hard to connect for those first kind of two, two or so months. And in these last two to three weeks, he's actually smiles at me now and, and he kind of, he's starting to figure out he sees mum like, yeah, mum's the source of my existence and he sees this guy being dad and now he's kind of finally figuring out, no, this guy's not going to leave. <laughs> he keeps hanging around. So now he's smiling and he, he lets me cuddle him. Yeah, that, that bonding's really only just begun for me with my second one. Cool. And so what would you say to guys who might not be, you know, they might not have had their own father figure. I mean, you probably come across guys like this, I guess. Um, what, what do you say to guys to build their confidence around, around fathering? I say to those guys that may not have had a father figure or if they did have a father figure, he wasn't a very good one. You know, you guys can change that. You can be that generation that draws a line in the sand and say, hey, I'm not going to repeat the past, but I'm going to be the one that goes forward and set, sets a new bar for my family and for the families going forward and for my future generations. So for those kind of dads, I say take confidence in, in in being that person because you can be and you will be and just ask questions. There's no wrong question and don't feel like you're alone because there's thousands of dads that are just like yourself who have the same questions, who've had the same background but can also have the same bright future. So I'd say look, hook into these programs that Steve offers, hook into the fathering projects and um, connect with your friends, ask the questions because a lot of the time we're all thinking the same thing. You know, all guys, we're pretty simple. <laughs> We've got the same questions as each other and we're all going through the same thing. doesn't matter what your culture is, what your background is, whether you're employed or whether you're unemployed. You know, as a dad, fatherhood's the ultimate equaliser. The general principles of fatherhood are cross-cultural. All guys have similar questions. So just reach out and um, enjoy the journey. Don't be hard on yourself. It's a lot of fun and just enjoy your kids' time. Oh, man, that was beautiful. That's that's fantastic. Thank you. Very profound message there. What are the common issues, I think, that you, you find maybe men, men struggle with the most? Yeah, common issues that we see uh, would be time. Men find it hard to balance time between being that provider at work and then also being a dad at home. I would find resources as well, as in I don't know what to do. Prior experiences, so previous filters that dads might be looking through. Um, you know, as you mentioned, that they might have had a bad father figure or no father figure, and that's kind of naturally just gets translated through. So when we sit down with these dads groups, the first question we ask these guys is what are some of the needs that you think your kids want? What do your kids want from you as a dad? And they say, oh, kids want our time. Great. Kids want to feel secure. Yep. Kids want to be financially provided for. Definitely. Kids want, you know, rough and tumble and fun time with dad. Brilliant. 
We say, okay, guys, that's what your kids need. You all know what your kids need. Then what are some things that are limiting you from actually providing these for your kids? And as I said, they said, you know what, time, lack of connection, maybe blended families, maybe bad previous experience. So we've got these two lists in front of each other, what the kids needs and what's stopping dad. And we say, okay, what this group's designed to do is start bridging those gaps between what they need and what you're finding is difficult. And this group of guys here, this is going to be one of your answers to really start covering that gap, bridging that space to really start addressing what your kids need. And I can definitely see that in what you're doing as well, which is brilliant. I'd like to acknowledge the Darawal people as the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is recorded. And I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging.